Welcome to the Armani Talk Show, episode 12. Happy New Year, and I'm wishing you the best for the beginning of 2024. 2023, it felt as though it went by a little too quick, and I have a theory as to why this is. Nowadays, there are these social media tools out there that allows you to track the amount of time that has passed within the year. I think this feels good in the beginning of the year, but in the midway of the year, I don't like it too much. It says uh, 45% of the year has already passed. What have you done about it? And suddenly, it brings some sort of urgency within the year. But at the same time, it takes away the magic of the year. I somewhat like it when I am confused as to how much percentage of the year has passed on by. One thing that I have realized in regards to discipline is that it has this magical way of making time fly by. Because the disciplined individual, what happens with them is that they have certain protocols that they follow within the day. They wake up, they have a morning routine, they have an afternoon routine, they have a night routine, and after they have successfully executed those routines, suddenly the day is done. The next day is repeated, the next day turns into an entire week, and just like that, one whole week has passed, two weeks has passed, a month has eventually passed, and the disciplined person looks up and sees that the year is flying by very quickly. This is why I believe with disciplined folks, every now and then they need to sprinkle in some sort of spontaneity in their life. And I'll give you a real life example with me. I am a pretty disciplined individual when it comes to a day-to-day living. I know what I'm going to do in the morning. I know what I'm going to do at night. I know my routine very well. But whenever I'm traveling somewhere, I'm going to a brand new location, I like to be surprised. I'm not the biggest fan of creating a detailed itinerary, do X, Y, and Z. Instead, I like to have a rough idea of certain ideas on where I can go. But other than that, I like to keep it spontaneous. By adding in some sort of spontaneity within my highly disciplined, regimented life, I'm capable of factoring in fun as well. Within self-improvement, a lot of people completely ignore fun or marginalize it. But within the level of mentality, I say that the folks that know how to improve for the long run Factor in fun. Whenever you're learning some sort of skill set out there, you want to eventually ask yourself the question, hmm, can I see this being fun at any point? I mean, let's say I do figure this out. Can I eventually turn this skill set into a hobby? Think about it like that. And when you think about it like that, that's when we're using our emotions with our mind. We never want to work against our emotions because it doesn't matter who you are. You could be the richest man in the world, the most powerful man, most influential man. But ultimately, you're going to have certain emotions. And the thing is, we can run away from a lot of conflicts from our external world. But with the internal world, whatever emotions that we are going through, we need to go through it. And some of the ways that we can go through it are with the following steps. Number one is we want to get in the habit of articulating our emotions. Right now, what happens is that there are these ambiguous waves. And whenever we just leave it as the ambiguous waves, that's when we're not doing much with it. There's not much information there. It's just chaos. But each time that we're capable of articulating how we are feeling, each time that we are building emotional maturity. So this is one way to do it. Another thing that I recommend is a thing called body meditations. Where typically with meditations out there, there's a thing called breathing meditation. Breathing meditation is when we are just observing our natural breaths. We're not trying to alter our breath in any sort of way. We are just observing our natural breaths in and out, in and out. The more that we do that, the more that we 
increase the gray matter within our brain. We improve concentration levels. We stay in the present much longer. And we understand the role that the breath has on our life. Breathing meditations is great. The other type of meditation is where we don't focus on the breath. We focus on the sensations within our body. Because right now what's happening to a lot of people is that they do not know the difference between feelings and emotions. And I'll explain the difference. Feelings are simply physical sensations that your body feels. Emotions are feelings plus a narrative. And the typical example that I give is with the roller coaster and public speaking. The roller coaster, people love to do. I mean, in Tampa, we have a place called Bush Gardens. And whenever people visit here, I take them to Bush Gardens. And they're so freaking excited uh, to do this roller coaster. Their heartbeat is going through the roof. Their palms are sweaty. They have butterflies in their stomach. And they feel excited. But these same folks, if I'm like, hey, how about we go to a Toastmasters meeting at night? They're like, wait a minute. Do I have to give a speech? Yeah, possibly. No, 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 bro. I mean, I don't want anything to do with that because I am getting a racing heartbeat, my palms are sweating, and I have butterflies in my stomach. In this situation, they have anxiety. In the roller coaster situation, they have excitement. Identical feelings, by the way, but just a different narrative, a different story. So emotions are feelings plus a story. And the more that we do body meditations, the more that we're capable of getting control of the story. Because whenever we don't have a certain direction to point the mind to, it's automatically going to tilt to the negative side. The only way to tilt it to the positive side or to the neutral side is with more information. And let's say we're over here just being silent we are allotting a certain amount of time to do the body meditations. Let's say three minutes, not too much in the beginning stages. What's happening now is that we are just observing the physical sensations within our body. And that's when we notice something. Thoughts generate physical sensations within the body. And the thing with thoughts is that they come and go. They're not eternal. And when you make this realization, what happens is that you begin your journey from going from very reactive to responsive. A reactive person gets a certain stimulus and immediately reacts on it, while a responsive person has this little gap. And this gap is the biggest difference between an immature person and a mature person. The responsive person is like, okay, I have a thought. But this thought comes and goes, right? So there's no need for me to react on this thought right now. Because remember this, emotions come and go, but the consequences can come and stay. There have been plenty of situations where people have thrown away their entire lives just because of an impulse. And due to this impulse, they just reacted. I mean, a lot of people that you will see in prisons if you ask them their story, a lot of them are going to say, man, bro, I threw away my entire life for just 15 seconds. And you press them further. Well, what do you mean? I thought this guy was looking at me wrong in a club. So I confronted him. I wanted him to apologize. This guy was like, apologize for what? I didn't even look at you. And as he's walking away, I cracked him on the head with a bottle. He fell. He landed on his head. He concussed and he eventually died and I was charged with murder. But that wasn't my intention. But here I am. I'm going to spend so many years in here, just like that, because of poor impulse control. And anyone can talk like this, by the way. Anyone can say, I am going to be more mature for 2024. But it's not always that easy. The reason that it's not always that easy is because we are making a lot of progress uh, things that would have pissed us off back in the days. Nowadays, we're like, we're different. We're feeling good. We're feeling calm. But you never know when certain things can just come out of the blue moon and piss you off again. And then all the hard work has been undone. And now you're thinking, well, does this thing even work? 
it definitely works where we gradually build our impulse control and you've already been doing it. I mean, think about yourself from age 30 to age five. At age five, if someone said, hey, no dessert uh, until you eat your broccoli, you would have flipped the tables over. You don't do that nowadays, hopefully, which means that you are making progress. But the thing is, how much progress can we really make? Every now and then, I do lose my temper, even nowadays. I mean, there's been this situation where I've been losing my temper with customer support as of late, where I have this theory. This theory is that in the future, great customer support, it's going to be something that brands are going to prioritize more. Right now, brands kind of treat customer support as an afterthought. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, let's just get a customer support whatever. I mean, if we could save money hiring them from the Philippines, from India, from Hong Kong, wherever, let's just do it. Their main priority is how can they save money uh, on their customer support. They don't think that, huh, these people, the customer support are going to be directly dealing with our customers when our customers are in their lowest position, when they're facing some sort of problem with our tool. So the people that we're hiring for customer support we should make sure that they're top quality. But that hasn't been the case. As of late, I mean, when it rains, it pours. And within the last two weeks of 2023, I had three issues with uh, a bunch of different platforms, Amazon, Skillshare, GetMunch. And GetMunch is this tool that gets full videos and turns it into shorts and it puts subtitles on and everything gives you a, a title great tool but for all three of these tools within the same two weeks things just start going wrong and when things start going wrong i'm feeling anxious right because i have no control over this now i need to rely on them to do their jobs and each time that i'm reaching out to the customer support each time I am disappointed in the service that I'm getting. There was this uh, one situation where there's this ticket that I've been working with with customer support for some time. It's been a long time, by the way. For some strange reason, they closed it without ever fixing it. I had to reopen the ticket. And this time I'm like, I'm not going away because last time I stopped following up with you guys, you guys stopped responding back to me. So I keep responding to them. And each time, they keep assigning me a new person to the ticket. Do you know how annoying this is? Where your business, it's going through a tough problem. You open a ticket. You Let's say you open it with this guy named Rohit. Rohit understands how painful the situation is for you. And you're glad that you're being understood. You're like, all right, Rohit, as long as you understand this is a big deal, I'm, I will be patient with you but please make sure you give me updates. The next day that you ask for an update, there's a new person. And this new person, her name is Susie. And now Susie's like, sir, what is going on? Like, what is going on? So I got to explain everything. So you explain everything, but you try to let Susie know, hey, this is a big deal, okay? Do you understand that this is a big deal? And Susie's like, uh, I think so. It's like, no, 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 don't think. Know that this is a big deal. This is costing me money. Do you understand now? And after much talking, eventually Susie understands. And now you're losing your motivation for the day. You're like, man, I've been talking to this person, just trying to get them to understand how important this issue is. And then the next day, it's Mary that you got to explain the situation to. And this is becoming ridiculous. Just get one person to handle the ticket. And at this point, I am getting mad. All the body meditations, the breath work, all of that stuff, it goes out the window. I'm like, bro, do your damn job. And eventually what happens is that I eventually call one of these guys and there's this rude manager that I'm connected with. I could already tell what happened because I used to work in IT. He's over here probably looking through the, uh, the ticket log and seeing how much times I'm following up. And He's probably getting annoyed. Now he's the manager to all these Rohit, Susie's, Mary's, etc. So he's like, I'm not going to let this guy push me around. So he comes in the call 
with this ego where I'm asking him some questions and he's just giving me one word responses. Yes, no, I don't know. And it's infuriating me because he doesn't understand how frustrating this is where when a customer is at their lowest point, they're interacting with the brand and the brand hires a bunch of incompetent customer support members that does not empathize at all with the customer that is going through the tough time. Instead, these people are lackadaisical. These people are filled with ego. These people are filled with pride. And that's when I began to realize customer support is going to be a big role. And those folks that can understand it from the very beginning, right now, understand it in the beginning of 2024, that if you're building a brand and you're hiring incompetent folks that are dealing with your customers, when your customers are going through their lowest point, I keep trying to emphasize this because when everything is going well, you're going to feel happy that you hired talent uh, cheap from overseas. And by the way, I'm not trying to hate on overseas. I've seen plenty of great talent from overseas, but you got to make sure you go in with the intention of training them correctly. When things are going well, that's when it's like, okay, see, uh, look how much money we saved. I mean, we would have been paying double if we had to get real good customer support. But when things are going bad, this is when some customers will switch from your brand and they will never look back. Three different situations where I have dealt with incompetent uh, uh, customer support. And a big problem with a lot of this is too much decentralization. Or decentralization, I believe, you know, it got its flowers within the past uh, two years. Two years, decentralization has been the media darling. Anyone is talking about, oh, yeah, we need decentralization. We got to decentralize this more. But now we're in this weird predicament where things have been a little too decentralized, where each time I'm hitting up the customer support, each time I'm getting someone new, it's been so decentralized to a point where I want some centralization. I want one person, central figure of authority that I can give props to once they solve the ticket and I can blame until they solve the ticket. We need more accountability. And this is something that I believe is good. Or with the Armani Talks brand, I always try to do decentralization where these books right behind me, people discovered them in different ways. Uh, some people discover uh, a book from Amazon. Other people discover it from a YouTube video. Other people discover it from one of their friends. Everything is decentralized in that way. But if someone ever has a problem with an Armani Talks product and they uh, want a refund, they don't have to keep chasing a ghost hoping to get this refund. They eventually come to the big dog himself, Armani, and say, hey, my brother, for some reason, uh, I thought I was going to get this, but I got this instead. Can you please give me a refund? And whatever platform I'm on, if it says issue refund, I will click that thing so quick, you have reached me. So you went from decentralization to centralization when there was a big problem that needed addressing. And more of these brands need to do this nowadays because let's be real. I mean, a lot of these brands, they don't even do that much work. Most work nowadays have been automated. So customer support is something that needs to be emphasized more. We need more situations where the customer not only is knowledgeable, but they also have emotional intelligence as well. Understand, empathize with the person, what they're going through. Do your best to articulate their feelings for them. The more that you get in the habit of articulating someone else's feelings for them, the more that it keeps you engaged. But don't overdo it. You're feeling like this. Don't say how they're feeling. Say, is this how you're feeling? And then be detailed. And if they say no, pay attention because they're telling you exactly how they feel. And from there, a rapport, a bridge is being built. And from that bridge, different things can happen. Other folks that are going through that low point, they'll maintain their cool with you more as long as you understand. These people snap because they are having their time wasted. In this time, running a digital business, you could be doing a lot of things right. But if the platforms are messing up, they keep going down, they're not giving any updates, then you're just out of luck. 
This is why I always say never rely on one platform. You never know when they will switch up on you. I mean, one of the most famous examples is with TikTok. When TikTok was first becoming a thing, they had a couple of creators that were creating a buzz, right? These creators became ultra TikTok famous and a synergistic relationship was born. The TikTok creators made TikTok well-known among the masses and TikTok made these creators famous. But eventually what happened was that TikTok started to lose interest in these creators. Heck, they used to put a lot of restrictions on the creators. And a lot of these creators were just kicked off the platform without any updates. And just like that, the same platform that the creators helped build is the same platform that turned their backs on these creators. You should never be too reliant on one platform. Be platform agnostic. What that means is, look, the centerpiece of my brand are the ideas. The platforms are simply distribution channels that I use in order to distribute my ideas across the planet. Medium, uh, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. I don't give a damn about any of that. That's not my property. These are other people's properties. And whenever folks lose sight of this picture, what happens is that they exit one rat race to enter another rat race. That's what they do. And what I mean by that is that in the beginning, most folks that start entrepreneurship, they do so because they're mad at their boss for some reason. One day, their body has to be somewhere that it doesn't want to be. Maybe they were celebrating their brother's birthday the night before. Everything was going well, a little too well. They did some kickstands, drank a lot of wine, partied hardcore. And then the next day, they try to call in sick. And the manager is like, no, nah, no, nah, I saw your Snapchat. Uh, you're not sick. You're just hungover. Get to work. Now this person, his body has to be somewhere that he doesn't want it to be. And as he's in the car, just getting so angry at his manager, he's like, I'm going to escape this rat race. I'm going to start my own business. That's what he does. He eventually starts his own business, grinds for six to nine years, is constantly saying, I am going to get super famous. And now he has done that. His body can be anywhere that he wants it to be. The only problem is that now his mind is enslaved. His mind gets happy when his post gets, I don't know, 50 likes versus eight. His mind gets anxious whenever he doesn't hit his typical view count. His mind gets happy whenever a subscriber is gained, and it gets depressed whenever a subscriber is lost. Is this man free? Of course not. He just exited one rat race for the other. He uh, was initially angry that he didn't have control over his body, but nowadays he does have control over his body. He just doesn't have control over his mind. So we got to make sure we're being strategic from the very get-go. We want control over our body and our mind. Most folks don't think like that. I break down in my book, The Art and Science of Storytelling, which you can check out at ArmaniTalks.com. Within this book, I say that it's smart to view human beings as computers. And before people are like, what? That's ridiculous. It's actually very smart. The reason that it's smart is because computers have a thing called the hardware and the software. And whenever we as human beings, we're giving a lot of advice. We just give advice on what we can see, right? We could see a human being, but we cannot necessarily see their mind. So we give advice in terms of the body context. But whenever we're factoring in human beings being computers, we understand that, whoa, they also have a thing called software as well. And when we factor in the software aspect to them, that's when we give better advice to others but we're more strategic with ourselves. I mean, this whole rat race comment that I made where people are nowadays giving up um, control over their body or their mind, it only happens because they don't factor in the mind. We need to factor in the both things. And this computer analogy can actually be extended to other parts of our lives. Think of it like this. You've had that one moment where one of your friends was talking about this amazing application that they got on their phone. And you're like, 
I want that application too. And as you went to download it, you saw that it was only available on the iPhone, but not on the Droid. I believe Clubhouse had a moment like this where they only made their application available on Apple. So what were you to do? You couldn't do that much because the operating systems were different. And this is how I nowadays view trying to change people's minds. I look at them and I think, are you an Apple phone or are you a Droid phone? Oh, you are an Apple phone. And the application that I'm trying to give to you right now is only for Droids. So I could try to push this application layer program onto this Apple phone as much as I want, but they're going to consistently reject it. Their operating system is simply different. Therefore, the application layer program is not going to fall within that operating system. It's that simple. And this is what happens with a lot of folks. I mean, they spend a long, long time trying to change other people's minds, but they don't understand that these are different operating systems. Trying to change someone's mind is a tricky situation. I think uh, it would be wise if this is your family member and they are suffering deep consequences due to their line of thinking. But if it's not your family member and it's just some sort of stranger on the internet, why bother trying to change their mind? Just think about that. When I was a dork, in 2000, I would say 13, I was about to graduate from university I was in this weird predicament where I was looking for jobs. I didn't have much to do. And not having much to do is a special kind of torture because it's difficult to assess what is important and what is not. And there was this one day where there was this guy that was constantly just badgering me about this one basketball player being better than the basketball player that I liked. And I recall just snapping at him and I just told told him a lot of things that I shouldn't have said. And I just got in this heated Facebook debate, block paragraph after block paragraph after block paragraph. I was trying to change his mind for him to adopt my line of thinking. But he didn't do that. Instead, he just got angry at me. I got angry at him. And the entire day was wasted. Now, looking back in hindsight, it would have been very difficult for me, my younger self, to be like, just let bygones be bygones, Armani. Just go about your day. But it's very difficult to go about your day when you have nothing to do for the day. So the more busy that a person is, uh, leveling up in some way, in some physical activity, some sort of hobby, some sort of business, raising a family, something, the easier it is to take the high road. It's very difficult to take the high road when we are consciously thinking about taking the high road too much. Where back in those days, if I said, all right, Armani, just take the high road. And I take the high road for five minutes. And then in my mind, I'm thinking of a better rebuttal that I can do to potentially change this guy's mind. So I go back into the hellhole. I try to argue with this guy even more. And he has been doing the same thing. He's been thinking of rebuttals in his mind to address me with. So he comes back with three block paragraphs instead of one this time. And I found myself back in this loophole. But if I had something to do, let's say around that time, I was, I don't know, applying for jobs. Let's say I was starting a business then. Then taking the high road would have been so easy because it didn't feel like I was consciously doing anything. It just happened as a byproduct. So this is uh, something that you should factor in. If you're finding it very difficult to be uh, taking the high road, maybe people are annoying you a lot. I think it's important that a person picks up some sort of project, any project. It could be that. I mean, it has to be a complex system. A complex system is a system that is never complete. An example of a complex system is a car. Do you ever say, my car is done. I never have to get gas again. I never have to do a maintenance check. I never have to do an oil change. It is done. No, you do not say something like that because there are multiple parts within the car. The parts have been intertwined in unique ways in order to give purpose, to give value to someone else. That's what all complex systems have in common. There's some sort of purpose behind it, and there are multiple parts. And the thing with complex systems is that it's never done. 
whenever we have this it's done mentality and we apply it to complex systems, that is when we begin the journey to doomsday. And this is one of the biggest difference between a worker and a manager, where a worker, they operate with the mentality that it is done because it's the manager that takes on the burden of things are never done because the manager has the bird's eye view of the entire complex system, right? The, the manager has the ownership of the entire car while the worker, let's say the worker has a, a limited perspective of the entire car. The worker, let's say his job is to clean the windows. That's something that's so limited that we can say, yes, it is done. You have cleaned the windows. You have done your duty. So the worker does not think in a continuous sort of way. They think in a finite sort of way, or the manager thinks in a continuous sort of way. And this can at times annoy the worker because the worker just got done with something and the manager is like, okay, well, now this is what you need to do. And the worker is like, why are you always on my back? Why are you always on the team's back? Can't you just relax? And that's what they all say. Can't you just relax? But the manager is like, man, these guys just don't know any better. I can't relax because there are ongoing problems that are always emerging. I'm always trying to stay a couple of steps ahead. See, the thing with a manager is that they don't get much respect because a lot of the times it's not about what they do. It's about what they don't do. See, a manager is capable of spotting certain things when things are going wrong. And a lot of the times they will ensure certain protocols are put in place so things are not going wrong. And the worker only sees things not going wrong. So the worker's like, well, what's the big deal? That's the entitled attitude that they have. But let's say the manager leaves for three months. Now the worker understands the manager's importance. It's because the manager is always looking around the corners. And that's what working on a complex system does for a person. It allows them to look around the corners. It keeps them consistently engaged. And if more people were to go from the limited thinking of it's done to no, it's not done. It's consistently being uh, unraveled, right? We're continuously going for evolution. That's when a lot of things will open up. Not only projects, by the way, where a project I mean, it could be anything. It could be um, you're starting your own business. You're starting your own YouTube channel. Nowadays, by the way, I don't know if you're aware of this, but five to seven years ago, there were a lot of YouTubers that created some viral videos. They built a portfolio and they were getting passive income. Then they stopped creating any videos. And that was good enough. But nowadays, YouTube, um, they say that if you don't create for X amount of time, then the YouTube ad revenue service has the rights to terminate a partnership with you. It's because you're not engaging in the continuous mindset. Instead, you're thinking in the it's done mindset. So a YouTube channel is a great way in order to build some sort of a complex system that you are constantly engaged in. A podcast, a blog, public speaking. Speaking skills, it's a complex system because anytime we think we have it figured out, it always presents a new issue where I run this podcast with one of my buddies and we're over here recording these episodes. We're at 50 episodes thus far and these episodes are very long. I'm thinking, okay, at this point, we have figured it out, right? But each episode presents a new problem. One time the episode was going perfect, but out of the blue moon, I just started coughing and my throat was feeling so freaking itchy where I told my partner, I said, hey, give me some time. I got to get some water. I'll come back. I get some water. I come back and then we're having the conversation and I just begin coughing again and I'm trying to hold in the cough. I'm like, okay, well, let me stop talking. Let me make him talk now. So I ask him a question, but I still want to cough. And have you ever had that moment where you're trying to hold a cough back? The eyes are tearing up. The head feels like it's going to explode. That's how you look. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? I mean, we're so many episodes in. This has never happened before. 
but suddenly a new problem is emerging. Other times it could be a certain filler word that I'm saying that I never said before, and I'm just like, why the heck am I keep saying this filler word for? I never did this before. There's frustration involved. So that's the thing with a complex system where it gets us to change our thinking patterns, where we're thinking, okay, the harder that we're going to work, the more results that we're going to get. But that's incorrect, my friend. That's a linear sort of mindset to have. Life is about living in non-linearity, where one plus one can equal five, or it could equal negative 17. That's exactly how the real world works. And the more that we engage in this complex system, we go through the ups and the downs with it, the more that we build a love for this complex system. And that's when we engulf our mind within this complex system, and it's way easier to take the high road. This complex system mentality, by the way, can also work with relationships, where I heard this really good quote one time. Uh, this was from my coworker, who ironically, he met his wife one day in the mall, and they got married the same exact day. So there was no courting phase or anything like that. They got married soon as they met. And this seems like a recipe for disaster, but they've been married for 27 years or so. He's Trini and she's Jamaican. He once time said, Armani, you never stop dating your partner. And back then I was really mature. I was like, what? I mean, no, here's how it works, Dennis. Let me explain it to you. You date in the beginning stages. Then once the girlfriend uh, becomes your girlfriend, that is when you stop dating. Now you guys are in a relationship. And he's like, no, 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 that's not what you do. You constantly date them. And back then, I couldn't understand it. I thought, why would you possibly date someone that you're already in a relationship with? It's done. You did what you were supposed to do. Well, let's just say when I gave that advice back in the days to Dennis, that relationship didn't go too well. It's because I stopped being engaged. So nowadays, with the complex system mindset of it's never done, we're always working on something new. We have that 1% mindset. We just want to get 1% better in some direction. Maybe we gave a compliment today. Maybe we did some physical touch today. Maybe we explored somewhere new today. Just 1%. Can you give me that? No, you can't give me that. 0.1%. Can you give me that? It's really about the direction versus the percentage points. And Dennis was smart because he allowed me to think of relationships in a completely different way. And speaking of relationships, now that we're on this topic, another great quote that I've heard is that you should fall in love with your partner's patterns rather than potential. Because often the exact opposite happens, where a lot of the times a person looks at their partner and says, they don't have it yet. But there's potential, so let me just give this time, and eventually they will reach the potential. But often, this does not work. It actually fails in a very spectacular sort of way, because the other person, they don't know whatever potential that you have in their mind for them, so they don't go for that potential. That was simply an ego move on your end to superimpose your idea of what their potential should be onto them. And now, every single day that they don't live up to the potential that you have in your mind for them, every single day that you consider that a failure, and you begin to resent the partner. You're like, why can't you do more? Even though they are doing a lot from the context of their own lives. Now, if you fell in love with their patterns, that is a more practical view of reality. And I get it. In terms of relationship, this is the place where we want romance. We want to be swept off our feet. We want things to be fun. So whenever there's this random guy on YouTube saying, well, you got to be realistic. You're like, what a schmuck. I get that. But it's more practical. and actually allows you to love someone more. Because if you fall in love with their patterns, who they really are at this moment, then their potential, whatever their potential is, you see it from an objective lens. Like, what does this person really want to do with their lives? I mean, you want them to be this uh, the ultimate housewife, but what if they don't want to do that? 
they may do it. I mean, you may use your will to make them change who they are. But these sort of behaviors where you're trying to enforce your will on someone else often ends bad. This is how overbearing people are born. Didn't you ever wonder how overbearing people are born? It's because they're trying to use their own will on someone else. And honestly, this is born from love. A lot of overbearing people are born because the person that they are being overbearing with, they don't want them to suffer any pain. A parent that looks at the baby as they're holding the baby, it's like, I never want this little innocent baby to go through the pain that I did. So I am going to make it my life's mission to make sure that this baby goes through no pain. And by making sure that the baby goes through no pain, eventually the complex system hits in. And when the baby is in the cradle, this limited environment, it's easy for the parent to think, see, look how much control I have. My baby hasn't even fallen once when he's around me. In this limited environment, sure. But once the baby becomes uh, old enough to go to college, the environment expands. And the parent who is still trying to shield the baby from any possible conflicts goes from caring to overbearing. Hey, I told you to uh, uh, be back at your dorm by 9 and FaceTime me. How come you haven't FaceTimed me? It's 11. Call me back right now or else I'm going to drive uh, to the college dorm and blah, 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 blah. Kid is like, leave me alone. Let me suffer. Let me go through some pain. This is the parent who means well, but they are trying to enforce their will on someone else, and we should never do that. See, that is one of the biggest difference between manipulation and persuasion, where manipulation and persuasion really comes down to the directions. Where, for example, let's say I'm talking to this kid named Amit. I'm like, yo, Amit, how about you drop me home real quick? I'm going to change, and then we're going to go to the restaurant. And Amit hasn't eaten all day. So Ahmed says, fine, I guess I'll drop you home real quick for you to change before we go to the restaurant. He takes me to my place and I'm like, hey, Ahmed, I'm not going to the restaurant. I just said that to you so you could drop me home. This was manipulation because we were not facing the same directions. I was facing the direction of my home while Ahmed was thinking that we were going to go eat. It would have been persuasion if we were in the same directions. If I said, Amit, take me home, let me change, and we actually did go to the restaurant. And people confuse manipulation and persuasion because ultimately, both allow you to get what you want. But the thing is, this is what separates short-term thinkers from long-term thinkers. I can always manipulate someone. I'm very capable of manipulating to someone and selling them a dream, lying to them, being a bad person, especially if I don't have a conscience. It's a very Machiavellian thing to do. But that was smarter back in the days because word of mouth didn't spread the way that it does now. In a network society, if I'm always manipulating people, screwing them over, guess what's eventually going to happen? They're going to tell their friends and chances are they know someone who knows someone that I will eventually meet. That's why persuasion is much better. This is the best way to think. And in my book, Synergy, which you can check out, by the way, ArmaniTalks.com, within Synergy, I share, look for win-win deals, okay? Stop trying to win and the other person tries to lose. There are so many resources out there nowadays where we want to create a win-win deal. And the more that we try to create a win-win deal, we understand this concept known as bartering. Where bartering is more about, remove the money for a second. What do you really want, my dude? You know, there was this one time where my web developer, he really likes to do web-related stuff. He just doesn't like content creation or anything public speaking related. And I hate, I hate doing anything with the web. So one day he was um, over here talking to me. I was talking to him. He's like, man, bro, I have to give this speech. I really don't want to give it. And in my mind, I'm thinking, man, I, there's this site issue that I have. I really don't want to fix it. And that's when I had an idea. Hey, Sam, how about we trade skill for skill? I will help you construct this speech if you can debug my site. And 
Sam is like, wait, you really mean that? And that's when you know that you have a win-win deal in the making. When both parties are like, wait, you really mean that? Because I was thinking the same thing. You're really going to debug my site for me to just help you with your speech? Yo, let's do it. So we just bartered. Forget all the money and stuff. We traded skill set for skill set. And if more people think like this, there are plenty of opportunities. Plenty of people have this limited perspective in regards to the win-win deals. They have this, well, trust me, I can't do that. But if they even ask the question, and they don't even have to answer it right now, just ask the question, is there a potential way that both of us can win? Just that. Then sleep on it. Uh, let your subconscious mind go to work. And eventually, as more time goes on by, it's like, yeah, actually, we can make uh, both parties win. So let's allow both parties to win. Let's persuade rather than manipulate. The Machiavellian arts is unique, right? I, I think everyone should understand dark arts, dark psychology, I don't know why they call it dark psychology for either. It's a great marketing technique, but dark psychology is the same as psychology because psychology really deals with emotions and emotions come in a spectrum. The top part of the spectrum are the light emotions and the bottom part of the spectrum are the dark emotions such as manipulation, anger, violence, etc. And that entire spectrum is what makes up psychology. And this is a practical field to learn for anyone. How do people learn psychology? I believe some great ways to learn it. Number one, learn a little bit more about yourself. Uh, think about the conflicts that you've had in your life. Understand why you had these conflicts for. These uh, moments will teach you tons. Don't just look for the positive moments. Look for the tough moments where you had conflicts. And also look at how you use your phone as well as how other people use their phone. Many people will completely ignore this advice, but just like no two thumbprints are the same, no two phones are the same. Every human being's phone is completely different in terms of content. There are different pictures in there. There are different uses for the phone. There are different velocity for how often calls are received, calls depart, how often people don't respond back, all of that. So if you can see how someone uses their phone, it teaches you a ton about psychology. What's a tough moment you've had in your life, my friend? When's one time that you have been um, in the wrong? You know, there was this one time when I went to Boston. And during this time in Boston, there was this guy who, he, he lives in Tampa, by the way, but his family is from Boston. And once he moved to Tampa, he would tell anyone that knew me that we were cousins. We were like family friends, but he would keep framing himself as my cousin. So we became close, right? I saw him like a little brother. I took care of him in Tampa. I introduced him to people. Whenever I would go out, I'd invite him with me. So there was this one time that I go to Boston, and he's back there as well. And this is his hood. This is where he was born and raised. And I let him know, yo, I'm coming to Boston. And I wasn't expecting anything of him, right? I was actually going to go to a hotel with uh, with my luggage and everything. And he's like, rubbish, Armani. I was like, uh, what do you mean? He's like, you're staying with me. It's like, all right, uh, I'll stay with you. So me and my girlfriend at the time, we were both going to Boston with uh, with the intention that this guy, he was going to show us a good time. Let's just call him Zach. And here's the thing. I get it, Zach. I mean, you live with your parents back home, so I'm not expecting too much from you. But Zach was adamant that he was going to make up for all the times I showed him around in Tampa. So he began to show me and my girl around, but he did it with such a bad attitude. He was just negative the whole time. He took us to this mountain-like area. We're taking pictures. We're like, yo, Zach, can you take a picture of us? He's like, all right. All right, he took a quick picture. Any smart people uh, know that if someone asks you to take a picture, you take a couple, right? Because uh, not all of them are going to come out good. Uh, I mean, give the people something to work with. Take a couple of pictures. He took one. It came out awful. I told him to take another one. And he was just being disrespectful. He was rolling his eyes and stuff a lot. 
So the next day, I'm like, you know what? I actually don't want to chill with Zach today. I don't know what's gotten into him, but I want to just explore Boston on my own. So when me and my girl told Zach about this, he got mad. He's like, what do you mean, man? I mean, you came to Boston. You don't even want to hang out with me. We're like, okay, he's invested in showing us a good time. So we let him show us a good time. Good time, air quotes. We go to this art museum. He's moping around again. I kid you not. There's this there's this ceiling-like area that you could just sit in. He sat there the entire time. Instead of exploring with us, wouldn't take any pictures, just moping around. And at this point, I'm getting annoyed. I'm just like, man, why are you so mopey for? And this is when things really went off. The third day, Three days of him being disrespectful, I was just having it enough. And basically, I asked him, hey, do you want to go to a restaurant or do you want to eat your mom's food? Instead of simply answering the question, he begins to ask me a line of questioning himself. He's like, when did my mom cook the food? I said, today? Do you enjoy my mom's food? Yes, I do then why would you ask me if we're going to eat in a restaurant or if we're going to uh, eat my mom's food? What do you think? And he's doing this all in front of my girl. And at this point, I'm getting really agitated with him. And I still remember, this happened in 2017. I grabbed his cap and I threw it. I threw it in the subway. And I said, go pick that up. So he had to actually go into the rails to pick up his cap. And he was pissed that I did that to him and I actually wanted to fight him because I was so upset with the past three days and how he was disrespecting me in front of my girl. So I said, let's fight. And that's when he just said, you know what? Forget this, man. You're just ungrateful. And we didn't talk. Now, after that, my girl came up to me and she was just like, you need to apologize. You need to apologize. Come on, just apologize. I was like, I didn't do anything wrong. And during the heat of the moment, we never think we did anything wrong. So I said, no, I'm not going to apologize. But she kept badgering me about it. So eventually I said, yo, yo, Zach, I'm sorry. He's like, yeah, whatever. That was the last time I ever spoke to him. And a couple of years removed from that event, I know that I behaved in an incorrect way. I mean, back then I was justifying it a lot and even after like we came back to Tampa Zach began to hang out with his people I began to hang out with my people but we knew mutuals Zach would explain his side of the story a lot and he would vilify me he would say Armani is one of the most ungrateful folks he's just a bad guy and he wanted to fight me and then the mutuals will come up to me and be like is this true so I noticed that we were just having different interpretations in regards to the event we unfriended each other uh, from all of our socials and we haven't talked to this day and i don't think we'll ever talk again and it showed me how fast an interaction could just fall apart especially in the real world where if me and him let's say we were in college together and we kept crossing paths then i believe that it would have been easier for us to make amends uh, just because we're in the same environment a lot but in the real world, what happens is that we're not in the same environment a lot. So my line of thinking, even to this day, is why would I possibly spend a couple of hours to maybe a couple of days breaking bread with this guy again? I mean, I don't see any practical utility in doing that. And this does have its pros and its cons. The pros is that I don't like it when people waste my time and I don't let people waste my time. But the con is that it can make it very easy to discard people. So we need to be very careful. I believe if this is a person that does help you in some ways, whether it's emotional, practical, or whatnot, give some time. Uh, allow things to breathe. Um, be willing to admit that you're wrong. We find it very difficult to admit that we're wrong in the heat of the moment. But as a couple of months um, have passed on by, that's when it's easier to admit that we were wrong. I believe content creation also speeds up one's maturity in this process because content creation forces us to evaluate our experiences 
from a different perspective. And that's what maturity is really about, right? We're evaluating things from a different perspective. So with content creation, you know, even as I'm explaining what happened with me and Zach out loud, it just adds so much clarity to things. And we don't even need to learn a lesson at times. Uh, just having some sort of clarity, just, okay, this is exactly how the situation went, is a peace of mind. And that's what gratitude is about. Often people don't understand what gratitude is about. So let me just explain it. It's just you being aware of what you already have, right? And if we can view it like that, we don't even have to think wins and losses, but we just have to think this is what is, right? This is when we bring random data points to the forefront of our mind. I don't know if you could see that right here, um, but this is a Toastmasters best speaker ribbon. When I started my Toastmasters journey, I was a big mess. I couldn't speak in front of an audience of five. So whenever I saw people winning these ribbons, I thought, hmm, they are impressive. I don't ever see myself winning a ribbon like that. Eventually, I became a member. I went to multiple meetings. And there was a speech that I gave called uh, The Four Haircuts, where I break down each chapter of my life where I had a different haircut. And I talked about how it allowed me to understand myself better. The purpose of the icebreaker speech is to allow the audience members to know who you are. So I believe I did a good job in explaining who I was, but there were a lot of clunks within uh, that speech delivery-wise. After the meeting, a bunch of the members came to me. They said, great speech. Here's how you can even make this better. I made mental notes. Eventually, I joined another Toastmasters club. And within this new Toastmasters club, I delivered the refined, the four haircuts. And when I def uh, delivered the refined one, I was given my first ever best speaker ribbon. I still remember it. This was in an IHOP. This, for some reason, th these Toastmasters meetings were done in IHOP. So when I was awarded the winner, I got up and all the members just got up as well and they began clapping their hands. And a lot of the people that were in IHOP, they were eating and they're just like, well, everyone's clapping, so I'm gonna clap too. So I literally felt like a star. Once I got that ribbon, I thanked everyone. I eventually went into my car and I just stared at that ribbon for so long. It was a symbol of I could do anything that I set my mind to. Never let a fear overpower you, Armani. I felt good. I went back into Toastmasters. I went back into more meetings. And eventually, the ribbons started to stack up. I started to get best uh, table topics uh, ribbons, best evaluator ribbons, more best speaker ribbons. And nowadays, uh, I actually have a collection. I don't know if it's in here. It's here somewhere. I have a collection of ribbons. And the ribbons in itself doesn't have that much sentimental value, right? And it just went into the back burner of my mind. And recently, I thought, man, let me just acknowledge what is. And I acknowledged that ribbon. I wasn't being fantasy-like or anything. This really happened. I acknowledged this win, and suddenly the same sensations that I felt in that car came to the forefront of my mind. And the thing is, when you consciously recall one moment that it is what it is, this happened, this particular experience, it allows you to recall another event and another event. The analogy that I like to give is the brick in the cement analogy, where if I came to your place and I just dumped a bunch of bricks in your backyard, you would be furious. You'd be like, why are you dropping all this junk in my backyard? And I say, give me a second. I'll be right back. I come back with cement and I cement all these bricks into a guest house. Now you're going to feel grateful. Your property value just skyrocketed. You see? The bricks are our life experiences, and the cement is our awareness. Every single time that we recall a moment from our life, and it sparks another moment, and we recall that moment as well, that is us bricking uh, two bricks together, cementing two bricks together. You get the point. 
So when we cement two bricks together like that, now we activate this little loop in our mind, which allows us to build the guest house of confidence. So you're going through a lot of these different experiences. Don't just let it lie and die in your mind. Recall it every now and then. And each time that you consciously recall one of these memories, each time it becomes stickier, right? And you're grateful for all the experiences that you have been through. So that's how we practice gratitude. We recall what is. We have hit the one hour mark, my friend. I appreciate you for joining me. If you like these episodes, I would appreciate if you would uh, recommend these episodes uh, to your friends. Recommend the Armani Talks YouTube channel, the podcast, the newsletter, however you found me. And um, I'm wishing you luck for 2024. Let's make this year a great one. Thank you.